What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well today. This is Raphael Garcia and Shawan Humes back for episode 116 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 4th, uh, and we have quite a bit to talk about. But first and foremost, as always, Shawan, let us know how are you doing this week? How are things going going down in the Humes household? Uh, it is always hectic. I just left district track meets. Uh, my one of my daughters made it to area for for hurdles and a four by one hundred, and my other daughter got fourth place in shot put for district, and she got first place in discus. How old are you girls so again? It's been a pretty good week for us. Sixteen, sixteen, three sixteen year olds and a six year old. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, it's it's exhausting, man. And they all play sports, right? Yeah, uh, two do track and bat- all three do basketball. Two do track. One of them does cheerleading and basketball. I think I might try to get her on the bowling team next year, just to see if she, just to try something different. True. But yeah, we try and keep them busy all year round. Kind of helps keep them in shape and keep them out of trouble. That's what's up, man. I know you're uh, busy on there being super dad. Try to be. It's, it's try to be. I try to be as good. As- My dad set a good example for me. Just trying to live up to it. That's about it. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. So, you want to know who's not being a good example of a dad right now? In MMA, it could be anybody. <laughs> well, <laughs> you you're think right. about it. You're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, but I'm going. I'm, we're going to talk. We're going to be talking about um, Conor McGregor. We're going to be talking about Khabib and Margot Madoff. I saw you tweet something about talking about one championship as well, too, man. So we have quite a bit to talk about. Looking back at that card. Um, from this past weekend, we also had the MMA, uh, excuse me, the UFC event that went down. But of course, man, we got to start with this big news around Connor and Khabib, and everyone's kind of aware of what's going on. They've been going back and forth with a Twitter war, t- Twitter war over the last few days. It has escalated to a point of pretty much disgusting commentary. Uh, Shawan, when you saw what they were tweeting out, what was your initial reaction? I was like, you know, I'm all for the trash talk. I'm all for the, you know, we're trying to sell a fight. But it was, I mean, they're crossing the line where it's, this is like the stuff people get killed over. Like, I don't, I don't know in any, and I, I'm not even saying if you're in a bad part of town, even in a good part of town, I don't know where you could say these kind of things about someone or someone's wife and, and think you're walking away without consequences. I, I, I don't know where you can get away with saying this kind of stuff. I don't think that town exists where where you can say this openly and think something is not going to happen to you when you see this person. Um, so it was a lot, it was a lot to really kind of break down because it's, there's so much really to unpack here. So much really to unpack because yes, they both have said things of escalating virtue. And I think I heard, um, on whatchamacallit show Luke, Luke Thomas' show today where they compared it to Tupac and Biggie like the East Coast, West Coast rap uh, battles from what, almost 20 years ago and it's funny to call it like that but that's, that. this is almost worse man, um, I don't know if you saw Khabib's last tweet where he said that you know Connor can pick on him as a man but you can't pick on a whole religion and be safe words like that are the type of words that proceed that, that proceed a body showing up somewhere and no one wants to see it get like that especially not for something that's trivial as the ufc light uh lightweight title yeah i mean what connor said you just you just can't excuse it i i mean i like connor i like the act i like that he built himself up 
I like that he's fought for, even though he hasn't fought directly for fighter rights, he's kind of done it through his own his own goals of ownership and things of that nature. But you just can't say stuff like that. It's disrespectful. It's it it's. I mean, to a certain degree, some people take it as racist. It's it, it's speaking out against someone's religion. You just it's sexist. It just it hits on so many levels. And the worst thing about it, even worse than the fact that he said it, is so many of his fans are co-signing it. There's so many people who are just going along with it because Conor McGregor said it. And it, it just it's very disappointing. Disappointing in MMA fans, hardcore and casual, and disappointing in Conor McGregor. I don't know what I don't think he's a terrible person, but this is a pretty awful thing he said, and I don't see how anybody can justify it. I don't care what Khabib said to him or or try to do to him or try to jump him. You don't you don't I don't I've never understood why you bring somebody else's family into something. I don't understand why you do that. They're not involved in this, they didn't do anything to you. Deal with the person in front of you and to attack a religion, I mean there's Muslim people all over the world and they're going to take, even there's, there's Muslim people who are fans of Conor McGregor. I don't know if they can be fans of his anymore because you can't separate what he said about your faith and, and indirectly is saying about you as a result of it. And you can't, you can't just say, I'm sorry about that kind of thing. That's not the kind of thing that you can just say, I'm sorry about. And, and I don't, I don't know what kind of situation this might spark off just in his regular life, much less when he sees Khabib next time. Definitely. Definitely. And it was it's there's so many different things to unpack yeah you know they've been going back and forth since before the fight um and i think you know in my opinion and i'm just being real here i know some people don't want to hear this a i truly do believe that conor mcgregor is much more culpable in this situation because he's been doing this for a long time he's been stroking racial religious and just homophobic fears and narratives for a very long time. How many times have we caught this guy saying the eight-letter F word on camera? How many times did we have to um, look back at some of the things he said about Jose Aldo, Rafael Dos Anjos, and look at them and say, uh, this isn't, like, this just isn't smack talk for building up a fight. Look at what he was doing during the Mayweather buildup. There's so many different examples where he said questionable things. Let's throw out all the dolly throwing, the allegations about sexual assault. Let's throw out him jumping into a cage and assaulting a ref. Let's throw out all of that stuff. Let's throw out him supposedly getting into fights in bars in Ireland. Let's throw out the fact that he's stomping on uh, fans' phones. Let's throw all of that out and look at just what he's talking about, what he said leading up, up to, to uh, fight promos. And yeah, I don't think you can look at this as a as a one moment in a vacuum and he's been doing this for so long. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about it. You can't, you, you know, he's made so many comments and a lot, like they said, a lot of it is trying to, they say it's trying to sell the fight, but there's a, there's a line you, you try not to cross because of the, just, just being human decency. And originally in the, in the Khabib issue, I really didn't have a problem with him, him kind of running up on Khabib because Khabib kind of ran up on Artem, ganged up on him, slapped him around. So I understood why Connor handled the way he, under, he handled it. And there was gangster for flying all the way from o Ireland just to run up on, on this dude. And to, and I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with Khabib's guy. You talk really reckless and you call people out in the manner he calls people out. You have to expect people to have consequences. Just like when Khabib ran up on Artem, you have to expect consequences. But when you start talking about racial things and talking about people's wives or talking about people's religions, I just can't support you on it. Not because I'm 
too fragile or I don't get fighters. There's just some things you can't say and expect and expect people to see you the same way. And attacking someone's wife like that and attacking someone's religion, it's just not acceptable. I'm not even going to pretend that's acceptable. I'm not going to pretend it's okay. I'm not going to say, you know, he was just trying to build up the fight and make more money. That's, that doesn't matter. There's a certain kind of class and dignity you have to have just as a person. And he's not showing it right now. He, he's so, not showing it at all. Let me ask you this, man. What can the UFC do at this point? Dana talked about he was going to reach out to both um, both camps, and they did, according to Ariel Hawani. He did confirm that both camps have been talked to about this. But what can they really do at this point in time? Can they begin finding people? Can they begin reining these guys in? What can they really do? Well, well like I was saying, the biggest problem is he's just crossing all sorts of lines. And I guess it's part of partly a result of the UFC just making him feel like he's untouchable because at some point they decided to make, to tell him that he can say and do what he wants. And either this is who he's always been, or this is who he's been as a result of being drunk with power that he's been given by the UFC, which has basically enabled him to say and do things of an extreme nature. And now it's just out of hand. And I don't know if it's just part of an act, if it's an act, it's an act he's taken too far. And if he really believes he can say and do what he wants in this nature, I don't I don't think he understands how the world works. I understand he's a pro fighter. I understand he's rich, but that can only protect you from so much, especially when you're going around and saying and doing the kind of things that he's doing. So I don't know if there needs to be an intervention. I don't know if the UFC needs to – I mean, the UFC can't do anything to him right now. He's suspended. They have no control over him. But someone needs to pull him aside and rein him in because – these, these things are just, they're not, they're just not acceptable. It's border, it's despicable, it's offensive, and it's, I, I just can't accept it. I can't accept it from him, and I can't accept it from his fans who are supporting this sort of treatment of people who believe a different thing than they believe, who look different than they look, who dress different than they dress. And I, I can't, I can't, I can't listen to any arguments justifying this behavior. And I hope I don't have to listen to any arguments justifying this behavior. It's it's so um, like it's 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 almost unfortunate that they allowed him to get to this position where he feels like he is. I don't want to say above the law. I not to be honest. I don't even know if he feels that way. He may just not give a fuck, and he just may want to get out there and say whatever the hell he wants to say, which is equally okay. But there has to be some type of there has to be something that, that can be done because because not only is he escalating this in a situation where we've already seen that uh, Khabib and his entourage, for lack of a better term, him and his camp, they're not people you want to fuck with. Period. We've all we knew that before UFC 229, and we know that now even more so. So, what on earth is he doing? Or what on earth is the UFC really going to do to help uh, fix that situation? In my opinion, I don't think that there's anything that can be done. Give me one second, guys. Um, I got kicked out. So, yeah, I think that there is such a slippery slope. is such a slippery slope, excuse me, that they've set themselves up for because 
he may not believe he's bigger. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're back. He may not believe that he's bigger than the sport itself, but he's definitely been put in a situation where the UFC has to do something because he's messing around in a situation that's not only that can not only cost him, but can cost this organization big time if it goes left and we do see someone get harmed. Uh, back at UFC 229, that incident was a hair close from becoming the MMA's version of the Malice at the Palace where fans got involved. If that would have happened, this organization would have never recovered from that. What or, can or, they do, though? He's not even, I mean, UFC says they don't have employees. Turn your camera off, Sean. Turn your camera off, too. But at this stage, what can they do? Because I said, we can, sorry about that. My question becomes, what can they, what can they do? Because he's retired. He's not retired. Oh, is he back in now? I mean, he was never gone. Do me a favor, Sean, turn your um, camera off as well. But he was never gone. Yeah. Like, like Dana White said it himself, he never once believed, or he never believed that, um, Connor was actually retired, that he was just trying to leverage the organization. Give me just a second. I didn't know what my camera will not go off. Uh, let me see if I can do it for you. Nope, I can't do that. You there? Shawn, you there? Can you hear me? Um, so I'm not sure why Schwann's having some technical difficulties there. But yeah, it's definitely a situation where there's so much to really break down here. Because yes, Connor is a type that he's already, we've already, he's already, we've already seen that he's a type that's going to say whatever he wants. And Khabib is the type that's not going to take anything that Connor does lying down. I mean, if you look back at, at his history, he's never acted like this with anyone else. But here we are in a situation where he keeps getting poked. The bear, the Russian bear, keeps getting poked, keeps getting poked, keeps getting poked, and he's lashed out when it's gotten to a point where he doesn't want to sit there and take it anymore. And he doesn't feel any remorse. He hasn't apologized for um, what happened at UFC 229. He hasn't apologized for what he said on Twitter this past week. He feels totally justified in everything that he's done. And even before UFC 229, he kept saying over and over again, why hasn't the UFC punished uh, Conor McGregor in some way, shape, or form? And it's a situation where that is a question that the organization may have to answer because if they continue to allow him to do things that he can get away with, it's not, it's not going to get, it's not, it's not going to end favorably, favor, favorably for anyone. not going to end favorably for anyone because it's just it's just a, I don't want to say it's just a matter of time before it doesn't go well for anyone but it's just a it's not a positive situation for anyone that is involved there you go you back Sean yes sir all right, man. So, um, do you have any any final thoughts to say about what's going on with uh, Khabib and, and Connor? The only thing I know people keep saying the UFC has to do something, but w when has the UFC ever done anything that's going to serve anybody's interest except their own? If anything, this might make them make the rematch because people are going to be clamoring for some kind of fight. Either way, like if Khabib fights somebody else, it's going to be 
a big storyline. If Connor fights anybody else, it's a big storyline. If they fight each other, it's a huge storyline. The UFC has no reason to rein this in because they said those aren't their employees. They're independent contractors. So you can't even really apply this to the UFC because if you look at it objectively, Connor, let's say Connor's being a piece of shit. Let's just say he's being an immoral, unethical piece of shit. That, that has nothing to do with the UFC. Now, they might showcase him. They might promote him, but he, they're not promoting his behavior. That's just what he does, and they're making money off it. You know, and as, as much as Khabib is, is seen as the victim in this, and, and I don't know everything about Khabib, if you read tons of articles, it seems like he's not the best character either. So, I mean, if, if some of the stuff that's true about him is been, that I've read is true, the UFC still promoted him. They still have him wearing their belt. They still trot him out for interviews for the public. So, I mean, the UFC has no incentive to fix this because ultimately this won't fall on the UFC. This will fall on Conor McGregor, this will fall on Khabib, and this will fall on fighters as a whole. The UFC will be fine. The fighters are the ones who are going to suffer because their image as professional athletes and sportsmen is going to be hurt, just like all the NBA players was kind of hurt by the mouse in the palace. I definitely re- remember the blowback that came from the mouse in the palace in a way that the, the league wasn't hurt overall. It, it had a black eye for a little while, but at the end of the day, it was like those players that were hurt the most and kind of like that perception. That perception eventually went away. It took a little while, but it did go away. Um, it did Steven go Jackson away. said he cost himself almost $10 million. Yeah, like like that. That was a, such. I mean, I will never forget the mouse in the pal, the, the, the brawl in the palace, and, and the fallout from all of that. So, yep. I mean, you you that's a good connect. That's a good that's a good connection that you made though, because you might have fans who aren't millionaires fighting in the auditorium, coliseum, fighting around America, fighting in other countries, while these two millionaires, you know, throw these threats for, at each other from half a world away. And regular people can't afford to get caught up in this. And to be honest, most fighters can't afford to get caught up in this either. But they're they're going to, and, and that that's only going to hurt them. Yeah, it's only going to hurt them in the uh, in the long run. So, what did you want to talk about when it came to one championship? Um, if you look back at this past weekend's card, I mean, Demetrius Johnson got the win. Uh, my boy Gary Tonin got a, a, a good win. Um, Angela Lee suffered her first loss, and Eddie Alvarez suffered a pretty um, I wouldn't want to say it caused surprising loss. It was surprising to a lot of people, but he, he suffered a pretty bad loss as well. Did you watch the full card? Uh, I watched it in 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 hindsight. Like I didn't watch it exactly when it happened just because it was a lot of MMA to take in all at once. I don't know about everybody else. I like it as much as anybody else, but I got it's the, there's only so much I can deal with at, at a certain time. But I I went back through it and watched it watched the card. I watched the card watch a card after it happened. Just I stayed away from all the spoilers just so I could be kind of fresh coming in, into it. What did but you it think was about... an impressive card. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so what did yeah, you I think I thought it was about... an impressive card. Yeah, it, it, it was, I mean, it was a good card. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I enjoyed definitely what I, I, I watched. I'm always up for something kind of different in MMA, and it's always kind of a good change of pace. What did... Um, what did you think about those about those big fights? Let's start with Gary Tunin first, man. Um, he pretty much continued like he's taking on tougher challenges step by step, and he's he's supposed to be getting back into the cage pretty soon as well. Um, that's what he's been hinting at on his social media pages. What do you think about uh, the way he performed, and what's next for him um, in his development as a martial artist? 
I, I like the, I like his outlook on on martial arts because a lot of guys who come in with a high level grappling background, their whole thing is to create instances where they can get it to the ground and dominate exclusively. You know that, that's that's where they they kind of apply their trade. But he seems to have much more of a strategic outlook on it. Like he wants to be strong in all areas. He he knows he's world class on the ground. He knows very few guys can handle him on the ground. But that doesn't mean he's going to just fight to get to the ground. He wants to be able to not just attack, but defend himself in all areas, which is very smart because most grapplers, they work, even wrestlers and grapplers, they work on striking offense. And the fact of the matter is that they worked more on their defense and more on efficient positioning and footwork, they'd have much more opportunities to get guys to the ground and much more, much less, much less opportunities to get countered or taken down themselves. A lot of guys just figure, well, I'm good on the ground. I'll just find some way to drag the guy to the ground, pull guard or something like that. And it's very hard to dominate against any fighter nowadays because they're constantly exposed to high-level black belts all over the world. They go to train them. They bring them in. You have to be balanced enough in your skill set to where you're not able to be victimized in any one area so that you can get to the fight to your strength. And when I read that interview where he was saying the same thing, it made me think that this is a guy who really is embracing the sport as a whole and embracing the art as a whole. And I really respect that. I respect a guy who's trying to improve on every single possible level, not trying to prove he's a striker, not trying to prove he's a wrestler, but make sure that he's a functional, skilled, competent, in all ranges, mixed martial artist. Now, grappling will still be his strength, but he doesn't want to be a liability in any area. And I, I like the way he's progressing, and I like the fact that he's fighting often. The biggest thing that young fighters miss out on is you need to fight often. That's how, that's how you learn to transfer the skills you're training in into actual fights. You have to fight a lot. Because once you get to become a name, that's when the fights slow down. So right now is the biggest time for development for Gary. And I hope that he continues along this path. And I hope that his, even if he has some hiccups, I hope his team still stays along this path where he fights tough but manageable opposition. So how long would you keep him fighting in 1FC before looking at making the leap over to the, the UFC? I don't know if he has to make the leap. I mean, he's he's in a division that's got that's fairly deep, and you know, at the the rate things are going, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more guys go into other organizations. They just need to see that they're viable, not just in their in their nations or their part of the world, but, but a viable a viable platform in America. So if they start picking up traction or start building up some ground, I, I fully expect you to see more fighters develop under 1FC and see more fighters coming over to 1FC to see what it's like. Because there's only so many spots in the UFC and there's only so many guys who get the rub, pro wrestling thing there, from the UFC. And if you really want to make money, you really want to capitalize on, on what is a very short career, you can't afford to get hung up on letters. O-N-E is just as good as UFC if they're paying you more money and giving you more opportunities. So I, he might not ever have to make the jump to UFC. And to be quite honest, if he's doing it as a martial artist, as long as you're improving, as long as you're you're improving and you're bettering yourself as a person, then there's no real reason for him to go to the UFC anyways. I don't know that that's his cup of tea, given how they do business over there and the things they allow. It doesn't seem like 1FC, 1FC is more of a, I don't want to say more of a martial artist organization, but it really does seem like it's more of a martial arts organization. And UFC is more of a martial arts sports entertainment organization. And some guys just don't like how... That, how that works and I think he's one of them true true okay so um, hmm, that, that's, that's, that's interesting there I've actually never heard someone kind of talk about him in that way but I can definitely see 
where you're headed there. I, I, I could see kind of your breakdown of that. Um, I what about Angela Lee? Say it again. I wanted to get into that. Before I get into the, 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 the UFC guys, the former UFC guys, I wanted to really talk about that Angela Lee fight. Go ahead. Um, I don't know this, how to pronounce her, her opponent's name. Zhang Jing Jing. I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. That was actually a very good fight. Um, Angela Lee, she's a person who's got athleticism. She's got a very broad skill set. But the biggest thing is, one, FC has kind of brought her up, and they've re really kind of built their organization around making sure she maintains her position as either undefeated or as a belt holder. This was really supposed to be a showcase fight for her to get two titles on her to make her even more of a star so they could juxtapose her with the her counterparts in the UFC or in Bellator. Like, look, she's a two she's a two division champion. This is what separates her from the other ones. And I think it ultimately was something that they were hoping was going to encourage other fighters to come over to their organization. Um, Angela is very skilled, but the thing about Angela Lee is she's got a little bit of Jin Yu Frey in her in that she's a better athlete to me than she is a, a straight-up martial artist. I feel like she's kind of plateaued over the past couple of years, and she's been getting by fighting, basically fighting atom weights, blown-up straw weights, and been getting by on athleticism and getting by on her grappling and physicality. In this fight against her opponent, she ended up losing. She was winning the fight. She was fighting very smart, avoiding extended engagements on the feet, kind of controlling the pace with movement and activity, and then getting takedowns, looking for submissions, working control, slowly chipping up her opponent, and was on her way to a win. The thing that her opponent did that was best was something that I thought Carolina Kovalkiewicz was going to do against Watterson. She didn't ever accept the position she was in. She didn't she didn't sign the silent agreement. If you listen to boxing a lot, Teddy Atlas says between two fighters, at a certain point in the fight, the fighters make an agreement. I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, and we're only going to put ourselves in a certain amount of danger. In some cases, it's when somebody pressures you, you accept it, and you're, you're going to accept their pressure, they take you down, you're going to accept the fact that you've been taken down, you can't take them down, you're going to accept the fact you can't take them down, and you're going to engage them in the fight they want to. At no point did Jiang ever accept the fight that Angela Lee wanted. She was always fighting to get back up. She was always fighting to get out of submission. She was always fighting against the takedown. And eventually, Lee just got worn down. Lee wasn't able to maintain the pace she started. She broke the rule that I always have set. You don't set a pace that you can't build on or maintain. Not only was she unable to build on that pace, she couldn't maintain it. And late in that fight, she couldn't get the takedown. She didn't have the spring in her legs. She didn't have the energy left. And she was forced to engage in a striking battle. And eventually, she got broken down. And while Lee is still a, a big-name fighter, and she's a very skilled fighter, this was a fight that kind of exploited and exposed some of the holes in her game. Her stand-up defense isn't great. Her stand-up offense isn't great. When she can't physically dominate you and physically outclass you as an athlete, she's not the same caliber of fighter. And for the first time in a long time, she wasn't able to physically manhandle and just out-athlete somebody. And even though it took longer than you would expect, the fact of the matter is she wore herself out, her defense got exposed. Her lack of finishing on the feed got exposed, and she got knocked out. It was a great fight, very competitive, very exciting, but it just kind of exposed some of the limitations she has. So anybody who's saying that she could just dominate the UFC strawweight division or she could just come over to the Bellator UFC's flyweight division, that's not true. She could compete in them, but she has similar problems to other fighters who depend on their size and athleticism in that her skills are not as finely developed. 
And when she's faced with somebody who can take away that natural athletic advantage, she's not the same fighter. She's a good fighter, but not a great one. But that was a very intriguing, very dramatic fight, and I enjoyed it greatly. I saw someone compare Lee, and they called her the Sage Northcutt of 1FC. Now, Sage Northcutt is signed with 1FC now, so that's not you know necessarily fair. But do you think that's a fair characterization of her? It is. They try. They they try. I mean, Sage Northcutt recently has been fighting tough competition, but they tried to. She's a good athlete. She's got a look. She has a certain appeal, and they were trying to give her favorable matchups that would show off her athleticism, let her look dominant and play off of her physical appeal to the fans across the world and to the fans in that part of the world. But she's much more athlete than she is actually well-schooled, well-drilled, defined, skilled fighter. And th that's very much like Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt really has only gotten a lot better in the past year or two when he started training with Team Alpha Male because he's regularly fighting a certain class of athlete and a certain class of fighter. And that's forced him to raise his bar. Angela Lee is still kind of doing her own thing. And that's why she's kind of hit this wall because at one point she was developing. And at a certain point she just realized I can out athlete these girls. I can bully these girls. I don't have to use skill. I don't have to fight smart. I don't have to use technique. I don't have to pick my spots. I can just do whatever I want. And you can tell by the way she fought this, her last opponent, she thought she could do whatever she wanted. And when that girl refused to accept it, when she refused to sign that agreement, she just eventually got worn down and finished. And that's similar to what happened to Serge Northcutt when he had his first loss in the UFC. He came up to a big lead, had big explosive spots, was getting takedowns, doing what he wanted. He gassed, got worn out, got walked down, and got finished. It was less dramatic than how Lee got finished, but it was still the, the same kind of fight if you really look at it. So, yeah, that's a very good comparison. She, it, I can't think of a better one, to be quite honest. That's a very good comparison. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I thought you were going to go the opposite direction on that, but okay. I see what you're saying. So last thing, um, Demetrius Johnson there, what did you think about that? I wasn't surprised by Johnson. I was little, a lot of people were surprised he was getting lit up on the feet, but Demetrius Johnson's defeat, defense on the feet has never been good. He moves back in straight lines. Eventually he'll get to an angle, but his first three or four steps, it's always in a straight line. He doesn't, he's not very good defensively. He's not very good with guys who were fluid and really aggressive strikers. He's used to people being scared off by his wrestling and his grappling. So when somebody just came at him without hesitation or concern for those things, they were able to get some work done. Now, by coming in so haphazardly and being so determined to get off offensively with their strikes, that opened them up to getting taken down easier and getting finished faster, that that's the risk you rate, take, especially if you're not a finisher. But it did show some of the holes in um, Johnson's stand-up stand up now a lot of people think he's untouchable he is he's a very smart fighter he's very strategic he's made it a point to work all his skills and, and to not have any one area where he's just completely vulnerable in but just because you're not completely vulnerable does not mean you are not vulnerable on some levels and the fact of the matter is he's been fighting at a high level for an extended period of time he's been fighting in mixed martial arts for an extended period of time i'm not saying he's in decline but i figure in the next year or two you're going to start seeing signs of him slowing down if we haven't already and um I still think he'll be good enough to win a title in one FC, but I don't think he'll be nearly as untouchable and nearly as dominant as he was in the UFC. That, that division's full of fighters. Guys you don't even know who are very capable of giving him the business if he comes in and takes them lightly. Luckily for Demetrius Johnson, he doesn't take anybody lightly. But it was, it, was, it was a good fight. It was a good win. 
And it was a, it, I liked the fact that he had to get through some adversity. So I like the fact that 1FC isn't giving him pushovers. I want him to have to earn his spot. And I hope this is a good signal to all other big signees, to other organizations. They're not coming in there so you can run roughshod over their organization. They're paying you big money because they want a big return. Either you're going to come in there and win and win a title and make it worth their money, or one of their guys is going to knock you off, and that's going to make it worth their money. Ask Benson Henderson and Bellator. Ask when those guys from Bellator went to UFC. They matched them tough right off the bat. Either you're going to give our guy the rub, or we're going to get our money out of you by giving you the rub, but you're going to have to earn it. And that's something a lot of guys forget when they sign these big contracts. They're not here to do you favors. They, they want to get a return on their investment. Demetrius Johnson gave them the return on the, on the win side. Eddie Alvarez gave them return on one of their guys winning over him. But either way, they got their money's worth. So let me ask you one last question about this. What do you think winning a title in 1FC does for DJ's legacy? Um, it makes him a multi-organizational champ. He was one of the he was one of the if not the most dominant champion in UFC history. He was only he was prior to Henry Cejudo, he was the only champion and the first champion in the flyweight division. He was just in another organization, legacy wise in the MMA history. That makes him that separates him because there's so few guys who won or guys or girls who won multiple titles in multiple major organizations. Uh, it'd be like Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. Ryan Bader, uh, I mean, Daniel Cormier didn't win a heavyweight. He won a Grand P. He didn't win a heavyweight title. You know, very few guys can say, I've won a title in one of the three biggest organizations of all time. That's why Dan Henderson got so much credit, you know, or, or Rampage, because he, he won in Pride. He won in the UFC. Very few guys can say that. So it's just another thing to separate you from the many other fighters who became world champions, went on winning streaks, or were considered the best of their time. And there's one thing I, one other thing I want to talk about. I just wanted to touch on the Eddie Alvarez thing just a little bit. Um, I don't know if Eddie shot, but you have to think with the kind of style he's had over his life, the kind of wars he's been in, you have to figure at some point he's going to slow down. And as I said before, one of C didn't bring him in there to pay him huge money to have him walk over cans. When we first talked about him going to one of C, I said, I don't know who's in there and there's a chance he can go on a winning streak. But they're not trying to do him any favors. If they pay you big money, they want big results. Either a big upset loss, which is news, or you coming out and putting on a good fight and having a big win. Either way, they win. But they want the return on their investment. And Eddie might not have the fastball he had before. He suffered a loss to Cerrone in a really tough fight. He had three grueling fights with Melendez and Pettis and RDA. He got knocked out by Conor McGregor. He had a grueling fight with Dustin Poirier had a grueling fight with Justin Gaethje and had another punishing fight against Dustin Poirier. In this two to three year period, if you include the Chandler fights, he's been in war to war to war to war to war. And at some point that starts to, to take the mileage and the spring out of your step and your durability. So we might have already seen the best of Eddie Alvarez. I can't guarantee this for sure, but they're not giving him any easy matchups. So if he wants to take a break and find his balance and find his stability, go on a run, He's going to have to earn it the hard way. And the last thing I'm going to say is that Justin Gaethje fight might have taken a little bit more out of him than we thought because Justin Gaethje is a punishing fighter. Just ask Dustin Poirier. And I'm going to watch that Dustin Poirier fight against Max Holloway a little bit closer now too because I want to see how guys would respond after Justin Gaethje goes through war with them. Because I, I really believe fighting him takes a little bit more out of you than fighting any other fighter you would fight in this division. Yeah, like he definitely takes some home with you um 
that's why. And speaking of Justin Gates, that's a perfect segue, man. On Saturday, he knocked Edson Barbosa smooth out off of a right hand where Edson was trying to circle off the cage with his hands down, and he got clipped. I mean, he got straight clipped, and he got um, basically put out from there. What did you see in this fight that really stood out to you? The biggest thing I saw from Gaethje, like a lot of people said Gaethje was showing improvement in class. That's people who thought Justin Gaethje was an idiot. A lot of people think he's some clumsy caveman who can't fight, on, who has no technique or no craft in his fighting style. And I've said that last said last weekend, and I've said many times before on the podcast. I've written about it. Justin Gaethje might be a brawler to a degree, but he's a he's a refined brawler. He's an ed, he's what they call in boxing an educated brawler. He has skills. He has a strategy. He has an approach, and it's built around exploiting the holes that are common in mixed martial arts. In mixed martial arts, most guys can't box. I'm not saying something I just see on the UFC. I've been to gyms all over the United States. Most of these guys can't box. They just can't box, which means they can't fight. Ba- they can't fight moving backwards. They move back in straight lines. They shell up when they get stuck on the cage. They pivot off the cage with their hands down, and they have no idea how not to bite on feints or how to manage distance correctly. All that showed up against Edson Barboza. Edson Barboza is perfectly fine when you don't pressure him, when he's not not under duress, and when a guy can't hurt him. Then he's comfortable. He's confident. He scares guys off with his power. He can box, he can use his jab, but he can only do it when he's in control. When you put pressure on him, it all falls apart. Fell apart against Kevin Lee, fell apart against Khabib. It falls apart against everybody. And against Justin Gaethje, it fell apart again. The only difference in this fight is Justin Gaethje, instead of rushing right in, attacked him from the mid-range and started chopping at his leg. And I don't think Edson Barboza expected that. I thought Edson Barboza felt that when I kick him back, he won't want to kick with me. Because when he starts kicking guys back, they don't want to kick with him. They start backing up. Even if they're firing back, they're still backing away. Justin Gaethje took what he had, came right back at him. And I think that threw off Edson Barboza because now he had no he had no safety zone. The kicks are his safety zone. He maintains distance because people are scared of getting head, head kicked, body kicked, or leg kicked. When, when that was taken away, he had no line of defense. His footwork's not good enough. His head movement's not good enough. And he, he just basically got exposed the way we all thought he'd get exposed. He got pressured. He got chopped up on the inside. He tried to get off the cage. It was KO'd. And there's been multiple fights where he's tried to get off the cage and gotten KO'd or taken down or beaten up. It's kind of what he does. He's, a, he's more of a great athlete with some fighting skills than a great fighter. And every time he gets to a certain caliber of fighter, he gets stopped like this. And this is yet another example of it. So what do you think is next for both guys? Uh, Gaethje is calling out the winner of the ally Quinta Donald Cerrone fight coming up. Um, Edson, Edson's fought a who's who in that lightweight division. And he's kind of floundered, like you said, when getting through that breakthrough level. What would you do with both of these guys next? Um, and there's also a conversation going around about Justin, Justin being perhaps a formidable challenge to the current lightweight champion in Khabib Nurmagomedov. What are your thoughts about both of those conversation points? Well, with Edson, I don't know what you do with him. He's like, he's fought everybody, and it's clear that he's not, it's pretty clear he's not championship material. I mean, I, I don't mean that, that he's not a world-class athlete. I'm not saying that he can't finish people, but every time he gets to a certain caliber of opponent, he loses, and he often loses in the same way. He, he gets pressured, he gets beat up, he gets broken down. That's what happened in this fight. Only difference is, in this fight, he got he got beat at his own specialty, which was kicking. He got out kicked, out leg kicked by Justin Gaethje. So, I mean, you can 
at this point, he's essentially turning into a, a high-level gatekeeper. He's going to let you know if you're ready to take the next step forward in the UFC. If you can't beat him, then you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what you're going to do. As far as Justin Gaethje, they, like I said last week, they want to put him in big fights. They want to put him in with name fights. They just need him to put wins together. Not just put exciting fights together, because he's always done that. Put wins together. And now he's put wins over two fringe contenders in the division. Now, neither one of those guys had the skill set or the durability or the strategy to really challenge him. They really didn't. These are bad matchup fights for both of these guys. But they were guys who were ranked. They were guys who had won a couple fights or beaten some guys with some cachet. So these fights, these wins mean something. Now he's going to have to go back up and start facing elite guys. Um, the Aya Quinta, he's been asking for the Aya Quinta fight for months, if not a year. The Cerrone fight, I know he wants that because that's a big fight. That's a guy that with a favorable matchup. I think either one of those fights is good for him. I don't know that if Aya Quinta beats Cerrone, I think Aya Quinta wants a title fight. I don't think Aya Quinta wants to fight Gage. Not because he's scared of him, but you might think of it as a step backward. Like, I'm, a, I'm either at a title fight or I'm a step away from a title fight. I'm not fighting Gagey for what? For who? Donald Cerrone? Donald Cerrone, if he beats Aya Quinta, is going to have to fight Justin Gagey if he wants to sniff a title. There's no way he can get around it. He just got back to the lightweight division. He's going to need wins and big wins to get him in a position to challenge for anything. And fighting Gaethje is the surest step to it. Um, as far as Justin Gaethje fighting Khabib, I think he's a tough matchup for him just because he's got he's got wrestling. And I know a lot of people are going to say Khabib's taking down wrestlers before. But the fact of the matter is that fight with Conor McGregor, it didn't change my opinion on Khabib but it made me look at him a little bit differently because Conor McGregor is nobody's wrestler. A lot of people have taken Conor McGregor down. That's happened numerous times. Khabib got him down too, but Khabib had a hard time getting him down. He had a hard time grounding and pounding him, and he had a hard time keeping him down. And I'm not saying that as a Conor McGregor fan. I'm saying that as somebody who talked to people who trained with Khabib before, who've spent months, if not years, in the same circles as him before, not like his best friends, but people who train with him, seen him train over the time. They've seen him tired. They've seen him when he's fresh. A lot of guys were saying he might have gassed out. Connor might have him. Connor might walk him down the third round. They were telling me this is the fight happened because they're like, he wasn't, they don't think he was expecting the takedowns to be this hard to get. They thought he'd be able to control Connor easily, beat him up on the ground a little bit easier, and he wasn't. It, everything was a struggle. And Connor McGregor, even though he's a very good grappler, is nobody's wrestler. Justin Gaethje is a very good wrestler, and he's a very good athlete, big, strong, explosive, and he's a guy who attacks with reckless abandon. Khabib's never really been good with facing guy. He's never faced a guy who could really crack. He's never faced a guy who's going to come right at him. He's never faced a guy who's determined to get at him like that. And that, that takes an adjustment. Even if you have a skill advantage, it takes a certain mental adjustment. And if Khabib slows or he gets tired or he gets sloppy, Gaethje is the kind of guy you can't let that happen again. Now, I'm not saying Khabib couldn't take him down and just wear him out. He's got that kind of control. He's got that kind of physical strength. But the fact is, Khabib's defense is still not great. The fact is, Khabib is not nearly the control guy on the ground. He takes guys down multiple times. They always get up. It's happened in multiple fights. Guys get up a lot against Khabib. That's not hard. And even though he's a powerful guy, he puts guys on the fence. Guys got off the fence against him again. Against him again. Got off the fence multiple times against him. So everything you tell me about Khabib that makes him dangerous to Gaethje, I have seen in multiple fights against multiple opponents who aren't as strong, aren't as physical, aren't as aggressive, and aren't as good wrestlers have been able to neutralize that. And if Gaethje can neutralize those things and starts putting pressure on him and starts putting volume on him, 
I don't know that Khabib makes it out five rounds. He could, not saying he couldn't finish Gaethje, but Gaethje's one of the few guys who can fight at a pace and with a physicality that would force Khabib to extend himself more than he's comfortable doing. Interesting breakdown there, man. Um, you've said some things that I actually wasn't expecting you to say. Um, wow. Like, I think that Justin is a tough fight for him. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go out on a limb and say that he is the Khabib stopper, per se. I definitely think that he, he poses an interesting uh, situation when it comes to the wrestling aspect of it, because I don't think we've seen Khabib face a wrestler that or someone that has high-level wrestling as well. Um but it's definitely it's definitely an interesting conversation that I would like to see play out in the cage at some point. In time. Anybody who's going after him, if you think about it, everybody's trying to stay away from Khabib. Justin's going right at him, whether that works or not. It's different when you have a guy who's not afraid, who's not trying to avoid your strength. Justin's going straight for him, and that's something Khabib hasn't really had to deal with in a long time. Yeah, I definitely agree, and it's and the thing is that Khabib can't fight Justin the way he fought his last three fights. You know, he let. Um, Conor McGregor lands some shots on him. He let uh, Michael Johnson land some shots on him. He let uh, Allies land some shots on him. And he can't fight, fight the same way. Edson, too. A lot of guys, I mean, he's not hard to find on the feet. He's a great athlete. He can th- swing hard and powerful. He's not hard to hit. Everybody lands on him. Every single fight he's been in, somebody lands on him. and lands a lot on him. If you can stay on your feet, the time you're on the feet, he's getting touched up. And he work and he works out with AKA and, and defense has never been their specialty. You can't name me one defense defensively sound fighter who's come from a, AKA. You can't name me one. Tire history. You can't name me one. John Fitch? Multiple- Who? John Fitch? Uh, no. Not I'm, he's good because he can wrestle you. Stand up defense is awful. Well, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I always think of I'll, whenever I think of that, I always think of that. The the highlight of GSP knocking him on his ass with that right hook. Everybody, Koshuk's only got lit up when he couldn't get takedowns. Mike Swick was fast; he couldn't avoid a shot. Daniel Cormier, nobody believes Daniel Cormier is a, a sound defensive fighter. Stipe was lighting him up. John Jones knocked him out. Kane Velasquez, no, come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there, man. Awesome, great breakdowns. Um, what do you think of of um? Michelle Watterson, I'm going to bring her up because she got that uh, she got that win that we talked about. You know what? You you were right. She came out and and she fought a good fight. I kn- a lot of people were coming after me saying like I was bashing her. I never said Michelle Watterson is not a good fighter. I didn't say she was a good fighter. I didn't say she wasn't skilled. I didn't say she wasn't poised. I said what these fighters are doing, and and it's it's a comparison I made with the Angela Lee fight against Young. Um, there's an agreement. When, you, when somebody makes something a little bit more difficult than you expected it to be, people just get into agreement. It's like a guy might take you down and you're in a fight and he can't pass your guard easily. So an agreement's been made. You want him in your guard. He knows it takes too much energy to pass your guard, so he's just going to stay in your guard, even though he knows that's A, dangerous, and B, not that effective because you still have some control over his body. It'd be best for him to pass your guard, but that takes too much trouble. And it would be best for you to get back on your feet that's too much trouble. So we're going to stay in this position. We're still going to fight, but we're not going to do the things necessary to win the fight. And in the fights that Michelle Watterson's won, everybody has given her the fight she wants. I felt Carolina would come after her with a little bit more volume. There were some spots where I felt she could have really sold out and opened up on her. And I feel like Carolina didn't go into another gear. I know athletically she's very average, but I, I've, I've, there's always been a certain mean 
streaking her. A certain when she gets her hands on you, you saw when she fought Rose Namajunas. When she got Rose in those clinches, she was savage. I'm surprised Rose even had a liver after that fight. That's not the that's not the Carolina I saw against against Michelle Waterston. Now I have to give Michelle credit. She, at distance, she took advantage of the fact that Carolina comes in on straight straight lines. The Carolina doesn't move her head. The Carolina is a very obvious fighter. And what she does, she doesn't really faint. She doesn't really fake. She doesn't change levels. She comes right in and she tries to overwhelm you with pace, physicality, and activity. And, and Michelle handled that. She picked her off. She disrupted her forward pressure. She moved around. And when the pressure was getting to her, she took her down. And Carolina never made any sort of adjustment. Um, I, obviously, she scattered her well. Some people on Twitter tend to believe that she, she read some of my articles on her, which and I had to scout Carolina for multiple fighters. So I knew her flaws coming in this. I just didn't think that she would fight in a manner that would allow Michelle Watterson to dictate the pace and the terms of the fight. I figured if she got taken down, she'd work to get right back up. That didn't happen. I figured she would just throw endless amounts of volume and chase her the same way she chased Joanna. That didn't happen either. I figured when she got a clinch on her, she would really just bully her and be physical and get to her. And that didn't happen either. And, I, and I'm not, and Michelle handled everything. She had poise, she had discipline, she had movement, and she attacked, she changed levels and she attacked Carolina from head to toe. But I still feel like Carolina could have done more or shown a little bit more urgency and taken over that fight. I feel like she kind of agreed that, okay, it's too hard to get to Michelle, so I'm only going to do this. She's taking me down. And instead of me getting right back up, I'm going to engage in, a, in this ground fight with somebody who's a better grappler than me. I feel like she kind of conceded certain ranges to, to Michelle. And even though Michelle's better than her technically, you don't ever concede a range. You always have to make them fight at every level. And I feel like she she didn't do that. And I feel that's what kind of led to Michelle's um, victory. But I can't take anything away from Michelle. That's her fourth fight in the win over an ascending level of opposition. And she's looked better in every fight she has from the first win to the last one. So I, I, can't, I can't hate on her at all. I guess she's... She's going to be scheduled for a title shot very, very soon. I think what she does well, and I, and I pointed it out, pointed this out, is that people are allowing her to outwork them. She's not going to go in there and she's not going to knock you out. But she, if you let her outwork you from bell to bell, she's going to do that and she keeps winning fights that way. I think that's what kind of sets her apart because MMA is a, it is a sport. And if you can figure out ways to score points and convince judges that you're winning rounds, you're going to get victories. And I think that's what she's doing right now. She's found a way to continue to convince judges that she's, that she's winning. Well, she, I mean, she does, I mean, the, I don't. I've never thought the Jackson Wing camp was the most technical camp. I have thought that they have, they know how to play the game. It's how they fooled the judges into thinking that Holly Holm won two or three rounds against Cyborg when she really won none. They know how to play the game. They know how they actually take into consideration how things look. They take into consideration the rhythm of a fight. They take into consideration actual numbers and analytics when they look at a fight. It's not just did I hurt him or did I not? Did I do this or did I not? They know that you didn't get the takedown, but you held them against the cage for the better part of a round. That means you probably won. They know that you're not hurting them with their shots, but every time they throw one shot, you throw five back. So it looks like you're controlling the fight, even though they're hurting you and you're not hurting them, you're still not working them. And what I mean is, in a lot of these fights, is these girls are allowing this to happen. Courtney Casey could have ran to her volume, but she waited too late. She could have gotten back up, but she decided she was going to hunt for a submission. Carolina could have been more savage when she got clinches, but it's like it's like they couldn't figure out what was happening. Like, Michelle's not really hurting me, so clearly they can see that I'm winning. 
That's not how it works in judging. They go by land of strikes, who's busier, who seems to be in control. And by all those, by all those um, estimates, it's a clear win for Michelle Watterson. She doesn't put a, enough of a threat to make you feel like you have to fight hard enough to finish her. It's like you see the girls fighting her. They're like, oh, okay, I'm good. I'm not in danger. Yeah, she's taking me down, but she ain't really doing nothing. Yeah, she's hitting me, but she ain't really doing nothing. It doesn't matter if she's hurting you or not. It looks like she's controlling the pace and the place of the fight. And if she is doing those things, that means she's winning. And a lot of people don't understand the sport of the fight. They understand a fight, but they don't understand the sport of the fight. And that's why a lot of camps and a lot of fighters are dropping the ball. Like they're like, you're doing fine. You're, you're pressuring her. No, you're losing. She's landing three to every one you land. She's gotten this many takedowns. But she didn't do anything with the takedowns. But she keeps taking you down. I can't ignore that after a certain point. Yeah, you get back up, but you get taken down in the first place. So you getting back up doesn't really doesn't prove a point. So I think she fights very smart. I think she fights very in a very cerebral manner. She's an older fighter, so she has some poise and maturity about her. But I keep wondering at what point does, she, she, does that not be enough? Because even in the fights against Casey and Carolina, she had moments where you thought she was going to start folding up. When they started ramping it up on her and being physical, she did not look good. She did not look comfortable. She did not look like she could handle the strength of the punishment. And at a certain level, she's going to face someone who, who's not going to hold back. I mean, can I see Michelle beating Andrade? Can you see her beating Jessica Andrade? No, because we know she's not going to stop. Yeah, she's not going to stop. She And she's not going to be scared off by anything, Michelle. You're not outsmarting Andrade. You have to outfight her. I don't know yeah, that she can be... You have to beat yeah, her. I don't, I don't know that she can beat, even at this stage, I don't know that she beats Joanna. I don't think she beats Joanna at this stage either. And I, we already know she doesn't beat Rose Nama Yunus. We, we already know that. So it, it's really like they're very good wins over tough opponents. But as I said before, they're girls who are fighting the fight she wants in the fight. And they're girls who either have limited skill sets for the most part or limited IQ. Paige Van Zandt, limited skill set and limited IQ. Courtney Casey, Great physical tools, limited IQ. Carolina, limited IQ and limited skill set. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the fighters, but these are actual facts if you watch enough of their fights. I commend her for the wins. I hope she gets a title fight. I just don't know who she beats currently in the top three. And I don't know that she beats Claudia Gadelia right now. And Claudia Gadelia has not looked good in a while. I still don't think Michelle Watterson beats her. True, true. Good breakdown there, sir. So, um, what else? Let everybody know what else you're uh, working on for this week. I'm gonna go ahead and close out the show. We've been going for about an hour now. Let's let everybody know what you're working on for this week. Uh, I'm trying to finish up my Captain America piece, and um, I'm gonna do a. I'm just gonna do like a kind of pros and cons about Michelle Watterson. Try to address some of. I mean, address some of the things I, I like about her, and address some of the things that I I feel have been concerns throughout the history of her career. Uh, side note. I feel like I have. I feel like I almost have to start writing more because I don't see many people doing breakdowns of women's fights. I, I just don't. I didn't see hardly any articles about Michelle Watterson and Caroline Kovacavich fight. I didn't see any articles about the other female fighters who fought on the card. Marina Moroz, uh, Aguilar. I didn't see anything. I didn't really see a lot of people actually doing articles on the fights themselves. I saw tons of breakdowns of the men's fights. I saw very few breakdowns of any of the women's fights, and you know it's. They're athletes. They work hard. They're very skilled. They're very talented. They matter, and I don't understand why they're not getting more coverage. I, I really don't. I don't. Even, I don't even really hear people talk about their fights very often, to be quite honest. Outside of our show, like really talk about the finer points of the fights and where the fighter can go and what they can do. I, I don't. I, I just don't see enough of it. 
So I'm just going to try to get back in and, and do a little bit more coverage on uh, women's mixed martial arts. True, true. So um, I am, you know, it's WrestleMania week, dude. Like that's got me on all my attention. I'm heading up to New York on uh, Sunday to catch the show, but that's got all my attention, man. I'm all pro wrestling all day for the rest of this week. Uh, we'll probably be doing catching. Since there's no MMA this week, I may do some MMA coverage uh, here and there. But this week is all pro wrestling, baby, and it's going to be a hell of a week. Hey, man, congratulations. Glad you're going out there. Have fun, man. Those wrestling fans get pretty wild, so be careful out there. Man, listen. I've been I to a couple of Those guys are. I spent huh? way too much on on uh, these tickets. You best believe I'm 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 going up there. Yeah, the, man, that's awesome. Like I said, I've been to fighting events. I've been to pro wrestling events. They're not crazy bad, but sometimes those pro wrestling fans can be pretty wild to be around. You would think it'd be the boxing events, the MMA events, where you could really have some problems. Pro wrestling fans are very passionate and can get really out of control when their guy wins or loses. As crazy as that is to say, they get really they get their fanatics for a reason. They they are real fanatics about their stuff. So. Just be safe out there, man. You ain't wrong, sir. You ain't wrong. So with that in mind, man, I'm going to go ahead and close out, man. Uh, either that, like, you know, have a great day. Have a great weekend, everybody. We appreciate you listening to the show. Please be sure to like and subscribe to our content so you can stay up to date with everything that we're doing. And everybody have a great day and have a great weekend. Yeah, thank you guys for the support. We'll see you later.